Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside Podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I'm the founder of 1000 Hours Outside, and I'm sitting across the screen today from a new friend, Shannon Martin. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me on. This is awesome. We are kind of neighbors. We're in neighboring states, at least, which is real fun. I'm from Michigan, and Shannon's from Indiana. Uh, Shannon is the author of The Ministry of Ordinary Places and Falling Free, and a new book, very new, Mm -hmm. just came out in October called Start With Hello and Other Simple Ways to Live as Neighbors. This really caught my eye, Shannon. It's so beautiful. I'm so glad. Such an important topic. A speaker and writer who found her voice in the country and her story in the city, which is cool because I feel like you walk through that story in this book. Shannon works as a cook at The Window, a local nonprofit dedicated to feeding its community. She, her jail chaplain husband, and their kids live as grateful neighbors in Goshen, Indiana. And you're on Instagram at Shannon Writes and your website, ShannonMartin.com. If people want to find you and get more information and subscribe to your newsletter, You have interesting Shannon with two A's, S-H-A-N-N-A-N, so real unique. But this really caught my eye, Shannon, about community Mm -hmm. and loneliness is such a thing that is coming up so often. And with 1,000 Hours Outside, with our time outside, it has been a way for us to build community, and it's been such a life-enhancing thing for us. Mm -hmm. So I just was so excited to read your book and to dive into some of these topics. And I love the book. I have a little, like, Codes I write in my books, you know, when I'm getting ready for podcasts. So like, you know, I'll put like a little cue if it's a good quote, but I always put a little heart. If it's something that like one of those things that like almost gives you chills, this book is filled with hearts because there's so many things in there that I was like, oh, it just warmed my heart. And I love the way you write. I think like even right at the beginning when you're talking about these different stages of friendships and you're talking about your teen years and you say, we've been together for 13 years, faded by birth dates and zip codes. You know, I just love the way you write, the way that you weave your words together. So I'll have to read the other two. Congrats on three books. Thank you, ma'am. I know. Can you tell us a little bit about your family and how you became an author and now with three books? I'd love to. So my husband, Corey, and I have been married for 20 something years, (laughs) 23, maybe. We have four children. All of our kids came into our family through adoption. So that's something a little bit unique about our family. We have three teenagers at home right now, a senior in high school, a sophomore, and an eighth grader. And then our oldest came to us most recently. So way out of birth order. He came Mm -hmm. into our family when he was 19 years old, and he's 28 now and living on his own with his family. His name is Robert. Um, And then my husband is the chaplain of the Elkhart County Jail. So our jail here in our area. And that came as, you know, quite a surprise too. I mean, so much of our story in our life has just been kind of one surprise after another. You know, we're, Mm. we're very much living a different life than the one that we had been taught to want, honestly, and a different life than the one that we had sort of crafted for ourselves and thought we would live. But it's just been a really fruitful and exciting journey to just see what community should mean, what it can mean. And and that story really started to unfold about 11 years ago when we moved from our home in the country into this 
smaller home in sort of an overlooked, under-resourced neighborhood. So we didn't move far geographically. But when we landed here, suddenly, you know, we were two country kids who had mostly grown up and lived out in the country. And that's the life we thought we had planned for our children as well. And and all of that kind of shifted. But when we arrived here, then we were kind of like, okay, now what do we do? Like, Hmm. now we have people all around us and we have a real variety of people around us. It's a really diverse, in every sense of the word, neighborhood. And we just had to start figuring it out. And so those questions for me, and I know some writers probably work differently, but for me, my writing projects and and kind of the themes that I write about, I'm always kind of chasing a question. And I started chasing the question, why does it matter for us to know our neighbors? And what does that look like? And with this most recent book, Start With Hello, I, I was really chasing the question, how do we do it? Yeah. Because over, over 11 years, you know, I've, I've learned some things along the way. Anything I know about this, I've learned from my actual neighbors. And so I, I really wanted to write it down and give people a really practical field guide for just making it as basic and low-key and simplified as possible. Mm, I love it. And you did it. It's such a beautiful book. What caught my attention too is just the title, Start With Hello. I had just read this quote and I've actually talked about it a couple of times where it says, it's a quote that says something like, not everyone waves, but everyone waves back. And I love Ooh, that. I love that. Isn't that such a good quote? I love that. And, yes. and I just thought, well, yeah, like we have to be the ones that initiate. And so that's why I love this. Yes. Start with hello. You have to start somewhere. So you talk in the book about the ease of childhood friendship. And you say you have statements like forging new friendships in adulthood is high stakes business, Uh, which Mm -hmm. it does feel that way. You know, what do you think changes? What do you think changes between when we're a kid and when we're an adult? You know, I think we there's an aspect where we lose that sense of possibility and wonder and just that that capacity to be curious about each other. I think kids are just naturally Mm. curious creatures. When we moved into this home, my kids, my three youngest were preschool, kindergarten, second grade. And we moved in next door to a Spanish speaking family. And, you know, my husband, I I know very, very little Spanish from high school. I mean, it almost Mm -hmm. doesn't count. My husband doesn't know any. And we were kind of, you know, we're in this place of wanting to get to know the people around us but also feeling stuck and awkward and nervous. And our kids just started just playing together. You know, it's like, it wasn't a thought in their minds. And now in so many ways, they've grown up together. And for me, they've been kind of the light along the path, showing me that we can just continue to be curious. We don't have to be categorized. We don't have to be put in these different camps. We don't have to be friends just with people who we feel are similar to us or like us in some way, or even share the Mm -hmm. same life stage. I mean, we can look out into the world and just see possibility. Mm. I love that. And it changes it. It makes it not feel quite so scary as we become adults. You have a lot in this book about how to actually build community, which is what you were saying at the beginning. And you have this quote where you said, no one teaches us that community has to be built with our hands and our tender heart and our precious time. No one breaks it all down. No one gives us the tools. From the outside looking in, it can seem like community just happens for the lucky few. So why do you think that happened? Mm -hmm. Where did we lose that along the way? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's, you know, there are a lot of probably sociological reasons why this has gotten harder for us over time, in part because, you know, we're not that centralized, you know, generational, multi-generational living is a bit different for a lot of us. We're moving to different places. I live in Indiana. My, I grew up in Southwestern Ohio, so it's not far, but, you know, I moved away from home and, and we all have our reasons for doing that. And, you know, you put down your roots 
but we carry with us this inherent longing to be known and to know the people around us. And, And I would say, even if we haven't fully admitted that to ourselves, I think there's an aspect of, you know, we spend our lives, we choose our homes for a variety of reasons, and we're looking for certain things. And then we buy that home, we settle in, and then most of us spend our lives living in a place where we do not know the people closest to us. Hmm. And somehow we've we've told ourselves that that's okay, that, you know, that's not something we need. And yet on the other side of kind of pushing back that feeling of like, yeah, we're okay, we're okay. On the other side of that is this better way where we can know the people around us, we can be known by them, we can just simply know faces and names. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just a great place to start. This isn't about, it's not necessarily about becoming best friends or going on vacation with our next door neighbors. It's about belonging to your place in such a way that you can look out around you and know that the people Mm. near you have your back. You know, when, when the hard days come, there's something really meaningful about knowing we can just reach out and be caught in some ways by the, by the Mm. ordinary people around us. Yeah, that is beautiful. And you know, like you said, right at the beginning of the book, talking about your end of high school years, that's how our kids go about it. You know, that's their right. formative friendships are made just because of where you live. Yes. And right. there is something beautiful about the randomness in that. That's it. Yeah. They're, the kids are just looking around them and saying, okay, I'm here and so are you. Let's play. And yeah. I think we can very much take that same approach mm-hmm. and look around us and say, okay, I'm here at this time and so are you. Let's find out why that matters. Let's Let's do Mm -hmm. something with this and not tell ourselves that it's inconsequential because I just don't think it is. Yeah. Do you have a lot of people who would say it's too hard? It's too messy. Why should I involve myself in everyone else's, you know, (laughs) mess and drama and and that type of thing? Yeah. What what do you say? I mean, I would say I've been there. I would say I felt those ways. I sometimes still feel those ways. It can feel big. Because we've allowed ourselves to believe that it's just this big, scary thing. And that's what I really wanted to do with Start With Hello is dismantle that and break it up into these bite-sized pieces where we don't have to change our whole lives. You know, my family moved into this neighborhood and and the journey began. For most of us, it's not going to involve moving anywhere. It's about Mm. standing right where we are and choosing with a little more intention to look out around us. But I do think these times are trying times. Um, It feels tricky. It feels like we're divided in a lot of different ways. We're taught to be afraid or wary of each other. Mm. And all of those things build up into this tension of like, oh, this feels too hard. And, and, And like you said, Jenny, what it really comes down to is somebody just has to go first. Somebody Mm. has to go first and why not us? And I'm Mm -hmm. giving you all the tools in really small and simple and ordinary ways while we're living our regular lives doing the things we do, finding those small little moments to go first. Hmm. Yeah. And people respond or they may not. And you do talk a little, you do talk in your book about rejection, which is something that I think maybe that is one of the scarier pieces of it for adults. Maybe Mm -hmm. kids are a little bit more resilient in those ways. Okay. So you are the unlikely person to write this book. 
because all throughout <laughs> the book you talk about you're introverted. Yeah. You say, I am an introvert, deeply holy. I could survive for many days without human contact of any kind, which is an interesting place to be in when you have four kids. Right, um, of course. <laughs> you say, I am an emotionally allergic to small talk. I'm awkward just in general, preloaded with the wrong personality, medium bossy, would usually rather be reading. <laughs> it's a great, this, that's great. And then you write a book about community. Yeah. So I think that's, Someone would maybe think, well, oh, she's probably really outgoing. And yeah. and you can be. I think you can actually be an outgoing introvert. Yeah. But I'm not one, quite honestly. I mean, I am not. I would say I'm a social introvert to the extent that I have come. I have learned. I keep learning through my life that it is simply better on the other side of that awkward interaction or encounter. And so I just have learned that I have to push through my first impulse, which is 90% of the time, my first impulse is like, I don't want to. (laughs) Like, no, all the things that people say, like, that sounds awkward. What if I'm bothering them? What if I'm rejected? Mm -hmm. I mean, all of those live large within me, but I have learned through repetition and just through practice, like actually practicing this, that when I push through that first impulse, what waits for me is connection. And whether we are introverted Mm. or extroverted, we need and long for, and we were made to long for connection. And so it it looks different for me. I mean, I don't want to be, you know, I'm not the life of the party. I'm not interested in big, loud parties. I'm getting older and I like things to be quieter, but Mm -hmm. I do, I've come to see real treasure in sitting on the back patio with a Mm -hmm. handful of people, taking walks with a neighbor, inviting a new family into our home for soup, you know, just Mm -hmm. very simple steps that again, I've been really intentionally learning this and doing this for 11 years. And so nobody's going to start where I am right now, but today can be everybody's day one where we say, I'm going to do one little thing to help bridge myself to some connection. And I'm not going to fuss about, you know, these people around me like, oh, I have nothing in common with them. Some of my Mm -hmm. closest and dearest friendships happened when I, like you said, like, like a child, I just said, it does none of that matters. We're both here. We're both a little lonely. Let's start talking. Yeah. I love that you said 90% of the time you're having to push through. And I feel like that's the same with us trying to get outside. I would say 10% of the days are beautiful and kind of entice you out. And you know, you and I are in the Midwest, 90% of the days maybe are not. And it's just a conscious decision that I know this worked well for me last time. I know that last time I was glad I did it. So I can know, I don't even know if you ever become comfortable with it. I, I I haven't. I mean, it, it's, I would say I've become more comfortable with it over time, mm-hmm. but it's not second nature to me yet. Yeah. The longing has become much more natural. Like I find myself longing to get to know people around me, but there's that valley between this right here and that. And I've got mm-hmm. to figure out how to get over it. And that for me is the, is the challenge is pushing through that. You know, there's the the quote, I don't know who said it, but as a writer, there's the quote that floats around that, you know, I, I don't ever feel like writing, but I'm I'm always grateful to have written. You know, it's like oh, the, that's there's something good. There's and it's like you're saying with getting outdoors or whatever it is, like, uh people, I'm not a big like I don't like run or whatever, but I have friends who run and they say, you know, I, I often don't feel like running, but mm-hmm. I'm always glad I ran. And that's yeah. how I feel on the other side of these moments that stack up into something meaningful on the other side of that awkwardness is always that feeling of like, that was worth it. 
And that mm-hmm. feeling fuels me for the next time. And, and it just works. Yeah. And you have a baseline knowledge that this yeah. is going to be worth it. You have a story in here that surprised me. So maybe you can tell it, but it's the one in Kroger. It surprised me because yeah. of the ending. And it surprised me because I thought it was going to lead into it was all okay. And it wasn't. Yeah. And so can you talk us through that story? Because sometimes we do have a social faux pas and how do we deal with it? Yeah, I I wanted to be very honest about the mistakes I have made and continue to make because there's nothing about this book that is me having all the answers or getting it right. And I most often learn and I hope others can learn from my mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, I do. We live about not even a mile from Kroger. And anybody who follows me on social media, I have a strange love for my local Kroger store. And so, you know, I see that as a true place of community Mm -hmm. in my life over time. It's the store I, I visit most often. And, and I've learned some things. I've gotten to know some people, all those things. But I write about the time I was in a rush. You know, I'm doing that dinner time hustle, trying to get something on the table. And I was missing one, one key ingredient. And I, you know, I'm looking at my watch and trying to figure out how to do this. And I hop in my minivan and I drive to Kroger and hustle in to get, it was something, it, I don't remember if it was pasta or sauce, but it was something pasta mm-hmm. night. And as I'm coming down that aisle, I see some friends of ours. They were good friends, not super close friends, but more than acquaintances. Yeah. And I I was aware that they had suffered a loss, mm-hmm. personal loss recently. And I like I had that moment of like, I just wish I could go get the thing. Like I just was flooded with awkwardness. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know what to say. I'm realizing in that moment I I haven't already reached out and said something. Yeah. So that feels awkward. I don't know what to do, but I can't avoid the situation. I can be an avoider as an introvert. Like if I could have avoided the whole thing, I would have, but they were right where I needed to mm-hmm. go to get the thing I needed. And so I'm approaching them having all these thoughts and emotions in my mind. And I had a choice to make. You know, I had a choice to say the right thing and be a little awkward and I chose poorly Mm -hmm. and I grabbed the thing I needed. And I said, just kind of a like, oh, hey, how's it going? And that was the sentence I threw out when I knew how Mm -hmm. it was going. And they kind of just like, ha ha ha, great, you know, busy. Let's, you know, have a good evening. And we parted ways and I paid for my thing. And on that two minute drive home, I was filled with shame. Mm for what had happened because I knew that I could have chosen that complexity and that discomfort. And instead of prioritizing my friendship with them and what they were going through, I took the easy way out and I just knew, I knew I had chosen wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I sat down, I came inside, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I, I wrote a quick Facebook messenger message and sent it to them and said, Mm -hmm. I am really sorry. And I know what you're going through and I know you're in pain. And I just tried to be as honest as I could and apologize. And I sent it out. But I I think, you know, I I told that story because I think it's relatable. I think I'm not the only one who has chosen the wrong thing in a moment like that, because we're just so afraid of those feelings of discomfort. Yet if we ignore those moments, they multiply, like they get bigger. Mm -hmm. It doesn't do us any favors. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum sealed and frozen at 
peak freshness so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last minute get together recently and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com slash outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com slash outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash outside120 code outside120. When the skies open up, while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody, and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com outside for 15% off your first order. Yeah, it was a really impactful story because I really was expecting it to go one way and then it went another. And it seemed like it sort of set you up to, I'm not sure where that happened within your story, but you have had a lot of loss within your social circles. And so what advice, I mean, this is part of life when we rub shoulders with other people is that they have really hard times or we have really hard times. What is your advice for how to deal with those? I mean, you're kind of saying it, which is not to take the easy way out. I think complexity is the essence of community. You know, if we're looking out and longing for community, but we expect it to just be fun or light or easy, that's not what we're going to get. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of us have this idea. I grew up with this idea of, you know, living this abundant life. That was something that kind of came from my faith culture was this idea of abundance. And, you know, abundance is only the good things. That's how I used to kind of see that. And I've come to see true abundance as we get all of it. Like that's what real abundance means is that we get the celebration and we get the suffering. And if we're going to be in community together, as I was at that time with that couple, I mean, we were in community together and that means that we sit close, Mm -hmm. you know, we come close in somebody's pain. That's what it means to live as a neighbor is that we're drawing near to each other and mercy and we're taking turns being needy Mm -hmm. and helping each other out. Like that's got to be kind of a give and a take in it. You know, we just take turns kind of showing up needy and and doing what we can to to save the day. And that's what community is. Because if if we only choose kind of the glimmering sides of community, the day is going to come where we're the ones in pain, where we're the Mm. ones suffering loss. And I know that we're going to 
I want people to come and sit with us as awkward and difficult as that may be. We're going to want that close connection. And so we've got to be practicing at every opportunity, doing the same for the people around us. Yeah, that's something that you brought up in your book, which I had read recently. I'm not sure if you know Christine Bailey. She has a book called The Kindred Farm. She's from Tennessee. And her book, she talks about vulnerability. And in your book, you talked about being needy, which is, I think, not a common topic to talk about. You know, we talk about helping others, but when do we show Mm -hmm. up and when are we... I mean, that can be embarrassing or all sorts of different things, but there is value in being on the receiving end and asking for help. I think we have to be on the receiving end. I think if, you know, we are, we're taught to be independent. That's the value of the culture we're in and it does us no favors. So we're being taught to be independent and we're all kind of anxious and kind of lonely. I think those things go hand in hand. But again, it's like one of us, wherever we are, one of us has to go first and say, this isn't working. You know, it's just not working. And and we were made to know each other and to need each other. But you're right. I mean, we're taught that there's so much value in giving to others and helping others Mm -hmm. and sacrificing for others. But nobody's talking to us about the value of being on the other side of that street or the other side. And someone has to be on the other side in order for someone to be on the side of giving. And that's what this Christine said. She said, be the one that shows up to be fed. That's part of hospitality. Hospitality is not always you opening, but also being on the other end and being in that spot where someone serves you. And so that was a beautiful part of your book. You say there's nothing as disarming as swallowing that tough nut of pride and asking for help. We can be the ones who show up needy, even if we're not accustomed to it. And then you had some really interesting stuff toward the end of the book about boundaries. Mm -hmm. So on the flip side of it, maybe if someone is asking and you are starting to feel resentful or you just can't do it. Can you talk about that? Because you had some really good wording on how to deal with that. Yeah. Well, I love you for asking that question. This is one of my favorite takeaways and one of the favorite lessons that I've learned through this journey is that it, I, and I, I believe this in my bones, it builds trust when we say no to each other. And anytime I talk about this, people are like, what? But I'm telling you, when we can honestly say, you know, I live in a, in a neighborhood where there are lots of people struggling through poverty, rebuilding after incarceration, in recovery from addiction. Like there's just a lot of complex stuff happening around me. And in particular with Corey's job as the chaplain. So we have a lot of friends in our lives who are living through these things. And one of the things people need a lot around me is a ride. And that's something that I can easily give. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I write about this in that chapter. There was one particular person who I just started to realize like, oh, this is happening a lot, a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, and I can't keep up with this. I had younger kids at the time. and, And I just realized I could say to her, Heather, I cannot give you a ride today but ask me every single time. I love that. And so I left that door open, you know, because I, we don't want to shut something down. I didn't want to shut it down with her and make her feel like, Oh, geez, now I can't, because sometimes I can help. And so whether it's a right or whatever, but that became my line. I think I just kind of lucked into it, (laughs) but it worked, you know, the words came out of my mouth and it worked, but to say, I can't do it today, but ask me every time. And when I can, I will always say yes. And when I can't, I will always say no. I love that. Because then we're not trapped in this cycle of like resentment or, you know, where she's thinking like, well, wait, does Shannon, does she really have time for this? Yeah, you know, we sure. all people in our lives who just 
they say yes, no matter what. And then you feel like they're kind of mad at you. Right. Right. <laughs> and I, I didn't want to do that. And so through this process of kind of figuring out that line and that boundary, our friendship grew wow. because she knew she could trust me to tell the truth, mm-hmm. whatever it was. Was. And of course, if it was like, you know, a four alarm emergency of any kind, I'm going to drop whatever yeah. I'm doing and say yes, but it often wasn't that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was such a teachable moment for me yeah. and something I, I carry with me in all areas of my life now. Yeah, it's a huge takeaway from the book. You say we're finite people with limited physiological resources. And I think that's a key point is that we are that way. And I think as our world turns more technological, where Mm -hmm. everything always works, your computer will always turn on your this, that and the other thing, but that we are different. We are people and we're limited. And so yeah, that was a huge takeaway for me in this book. Lots of big takeaways. I love the story about Mac. That was another one of my favorites. You're kind of talking about like, are we too late? And you say in the book, we have, you say in the book, we actually have plenty of time. No one says that. (laughs) Right. No one says that. I think we do though. I think our life, you know, we're told all the time, life is too short and it's so short and that's true too. But competing things can be true at the same time. And honestly, life is long. We have a lot of years, most of us, like ideally, we have a lot of years to fill this earth and to choose particular things for particular reasons. Mm. And, and I just want to be, you know, I my coworker at the kitchen is 86 years old wow. and he is showing up to work every day and thriving. And it's been such a picture of, Oh. For me, of we've got time, so we we want to be intentional with that yeah. time. I loved that. I bolded it. We actually have plenty of time. So the the thought there is that it's okay for relationships to develop slowly over time, and yeah. and we have situations like that in our life, you know, with our friends, and you know, we've had for a decade plus, and sometimes you're like, oh, remember when we first met? You know, this just one chance yes. encounter, this one thing that happened and over time it grew. So can you tell the story about Mac's football game? I loved that one. Mm, I love Mac. And and Mac, for anybody who may have read my previous books, I wrote extensively about Mac in the Ministry of Ordinary Places. Mm-hmm. So I didn't connect those dots because it's not, you know, the, you can certainly read start with hello and it makes perfect sense. But for anybody who notices like, oh wait, yeah, it's the same guy. Um, And I write in, you know, he, he became, like you said, like he became a big part of my life through the strangest of circumstances and in my family's life. He, he was one of my son Calvin's best friends for, for a while until he um, moved away. He doesn't live in my neighborhood anymore, but I write about the time I was up very early. I'm not really a morning person. I'm becoming more that way as I get older, but I was up early making cinnamon rolls. We had company from out of town. Everybody was still asleep. It was a Saturday morning. And, you know, I got up to, because you got to like let the dough Mm -hmm. rise and then Mm -hmm. let it rise again. It's a whole process (laughs) and you want them fresh out of the oven. Um, And so I was doing that thing and sitting on my couch reading and it was still kind of dark and dusky outside. And I hear this tiny little knock on the door, not the doorbell. And I'm thinking, who in the world is here? I'm still in my pajamas. And so I go and, and kind of crack the door open. It was in early fall and there stood Mac. It was like, you know, seven in the morning at this point. And he whispers, I didn't want to wake you up. I just wondered if you were were coming to my football game today. And he said, your company can come too. (laughs) And so we had just this little, this little moment. He was walking to the high school, you know, at the crack of dawn. And I said, we'll be there. And I I just remember so clearly, I just, we had a screen door up and it was still closed. And I pushed my hand up against the screen door and he pushed his hand against mine. 
on the other side of the screen door. And it's just that moment of like, man, I'm so grateful. I did not miss out on Matt. Wow. I am so grateful that, that, you know, my, our, our paths crossed in such a way. And we were both willing to um, push past some of that awkwardness. And we were willing to kind of do some hard things together. There was a time that I was kind of homeschooling him for a while. It was a, a, it was a long and wild circumstance, but he is a, he's a young neighbor who really became part of my family through those, those small moments, because like you, like you kind of hinted at, no matter where we are in a relationship, they all start down at street level. Mm -hmm. They all start with just that simple hello. And then so often they do grow from there. And so we should not overlook or, you know, discount just those simple hellos and waves and because so often they do grow. Yeah. You, my mom always says every expert was once a beginner. And so it's sort of the same with these relationships. You had such a beautiful passage in here. There's no relationship or friendship or bonus partnership that doesn't start somewhere thimble size, a hello, a shared laugh, a quick helping hand viewed through the lens of enduring friendship. These aren't throwaway pleasantries. They are seeds. Wow, is that powerful? And I think that's encouraging to look at the small things that we do, whether it's a hello or like you say, yeah. a shared laugh, that these things are a big deal and they can grow and you and you walk through that story with Mac, you know, when he was eleven, this is how things were. And then, you yeah. know, what is it that makes a, a child come and knock right on your door? Right. Early in the right. morning to be comfortable at, at in the on a Saturday. <laughs> To be, right. And to say it that yeah. way, your company can come too. I mean, it's I the know. sweetest thing. I know. Oh. We used to have moments with, with him and he had two brothers around the same age. So they're all really special to us. But I remember times where he would be coming home from football practice and we would be sitting, you know, our, our living room faces the street and he would come right up to our window with knowing the window was open and he would just start talking to us through the screen. And I will never forget, never, never the time he was, he was heading home. It was already dark. And he said, I love you. Oh. He said, I used to say it to him all the time. And he would kind of awkwardly say it back to me sometimes or ignore yeah. it. And the first time he said it to me first, I mean, I thought this is it. This is it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The good stuff. I, um, so there was some nostalgia in this book because you talked about the rotary phone. And oh, yeah. <laughs> actually, this was a really interesting part because I've been talking with a lot of people about technology and sort of this promise versus peril in that mm-hmm. so often the new technology comes in and it's shiny and it's exciting, but then you don't really realize what you lose until way later. And so that was yeah. one of the things that I thought of when I was reading about the phone because you were talking about how someone's calling, was it Betty or Deanne or Aunt Marianne? And they're going to say, want to head over, but you didn't know who it was until you picked it up. And I remember (laughs) when caller ID came in and that was the shiny new technology, you know who it is, you can choose not to answer, but we've lost that novelty of who's it going to be? And so I just thought there was sort of an interesting thing, but you talk about how dropping by was something that was commonplace in your childhood. And I think there is something really special about someone who feels comfortable enough to drop by. And do you think that used to be a norm and it's changed? Or do you think it's always been something that's a little unique? I can only say that for me in my life, I don't know if it's a Midwestern thing. I don't know. You know, I grew up in a out in the country, outside of a tiny little village. It wasn't even a town, Um, you know, just a really small community. I don't know if it it was unique to us or not, but I do know that was how it worked when I was a child was people 
would just pop in. Wow. And we did that to others sometimes too. There was ease to mm. this idea of community and just this really basic, you know, I, I write about my parents and, the, and their friends and in, in when I was in childhood, they were good at saying, hey, you know, the phone rings. We have no answering machine, no mm-hmm. caller ID. Like the, that's the only way to connect with each other is to just do it. Yeah. And so you answer the phone. And it's like, hey, I made too many beans. Like, do you do you want to come over? We all <laughs> live within that. five minutes. It's such like a random. But that is probably it's, actually what it was. I have extra beans. For sure. <laughs> yes, ham and beans and cornbread. Like yeah. this is the kind of food we ate, and it was that is a meal that can get out of hand. Like those beans get bigger right, as you cook right. them, and then you got a lot of beans. Right. Um, but just simplifying, not making it about, oh, do you want to come over for this fancy dinner and right. there will be candles lit? Like that was nowhere in my experience. It was just this like, show up, bring whatever you're having. We'll have whatever we're wow. having. Nothing's going to match together. And that was a, that was a beautiful way. I mean, that's to the live. prime of and life. It's it. And, and as a child, I mean, I'm here, I'm 40. I'm in my mid forties. I don't remember how old I am. I think I'm 46 and I'm still talking about it. Like this is the stuff that shapes us and we can get back to that. And even if we've never had it before, we can start to say like, we don't have to do this. We don't have to live this Mm -hmm. way. We can connect with people on that level and say, pick up the phone or send a text. And that's okay too. That's what I would do. Send a text and say, Hey, like, do you want to come over tonight? Do you just want to come over after dinner and have some popcorn and we'll hang out and let the kids run around and be crazy? I mean, that's the stuff I hope my kids remember because I know that that's the stuff Mm. that shaped me. Well, you know, and our brains are wired for novelty. They're they're wired for new things. So we talk about the garden provides that. Obviously, our screens provide that and they provide that abundantly and in a really, in a way that is engineered uh, <laughs> to yeah, really right. hit that hardwired need that we have. But as a child, can you imagine, you know, you have your day, it's just kind of like all the other days. And then all of a sudden the phone rings, right. you're going somewhere right. for beans, you know, or someone's yes. coming to you and on a school night. Yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> and you can just see how yeah. For anyone, but especially for a child, how that would really enhance life and make a difference. And really that leads into your whole thought that hospitality does not have to be entertaining. I even had written down entertainment. I had even written down some of the things that you said. You said, I want to see your face. Just send that text, you know, or come roll your eyes at The Bachelor with me. Just these easy (laughs) things that we could say. And then when people show up at your house, it is kind of a thrill. It makes you feel like, oh, they're comfortable enough to just come on in. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And they were thinking of us. Like somebody in the world. I'm in the middle of, you know, I I write about the time my friends Jason and Courtney stopped by. I mean, it was a school night. This was just more recently. And they're they're good friends of ours. You know, they're some of our kind of core group of, of people, but they're new. You know, we and I write about that. Like, how did we come to find these kind of I think a life of connection is a life of it's like a fabric with like all different layers. And you know, some are acquaintances and some are our closest friends and most people are somewhere in between those two things and that's good right. that's how it should be but they showed up at 9 p.m on a school night and I still think back like that was like an interesting choice and at first I'm sure <laughs> I had that thought of like who is knocking on the door at 9 p.m while we just got home from a baseball game I'm eating over the sink like you know all of the things 
but we just had the best time with them. And, and they came in, they sat down, we just chatted at the table for a little while. And they said, Hey, we were at Dairy Queen (laughs) over on this side of town. And we thought we'd just stop by and say hi. And I felt loved from that. Wow. Yeah. Eating better is easy with factors, delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 1000 hours. Yeah, and they could have easily passed over and been like, you know, it's too late. They're going to think it's yep. weird. And yes. now it's in a book. <laughs> it's in a book. Forever and let me t- in a book. <laughs> Let me tell you another quick little story because that is that's what we tell ourselves is, is they're going to think it's weird or I'm going to be interrupting them or they're going to be annoyed all these things. The day that my that start with hello was released. I haven't even this is the first time I'm saying this anywhere and I hold it close to my heart. I will talk about it more at some point. There was a knock at the door. It was dinner time. Book launch days are very complicated emotionally. And Corey answered the door and called me over. There was a couple standing on my front little stoop. I've met them one time before. They live somewhere in my neighborhood, but I don't even know where. I don't know which house they're in. I did not know their names. They brought me two helium balloons that said, congratulations. And they said, we knew that today was your book launch day. Wow. (laughs) I know. And they were like, you know, we almost didn't do this because she said, is it weird that we know where you live? Like they were having all those, that same self-talk, like she's going to think it's weird. She's going to think we're stalking her. Like, how do we know where she lives? All of this is weird. And it was the most special thing that happened to me that entire day. Wow. And they did that weird thing. I mean, it didn't cost them a lot of money 
money. But oh, and they gave me like a little gift card to our coffee shop in town. I mean, it was the most special. Wow. And it was everything I'm talking about. Like they just did it. They didn't talk themselves out of it. Yeah. And I will never forget it. Wow. It might even go in a book someday. It probably will. Oh, <laughs> that's what people need to get out of this. If they know you, they've got to do small, special things for you, knowing that someday it might <laughs> yes. be memorialized in right. a book. Oh, <laughs> so but you know, it is a really neat thing that the book is filled with these seemingly inconsequential stories, really, but they're really the stories that are very touching and really matter and make our lives full. And when you're talking about hospitality versus entertaining, you talk about a friend that came over. I wrote down her name. Maybe Ken- Kendra? Kendall. Okay. Oh, Kendall. Yes. Kendall. Kendall. There's yeah, a yeah, Kendall yeah. and a Kendra, actually. Yeah. Um, but Kendall came <laughs> over, and, and I liked this story, too, because she said she's going to be in town. Can I come? And your first instinct is to say no, but you say yes. Uh-huh. And then you say, the plates were wildly uncute, <laughs> you know, which I love that sentence. I think we all relate to that. But um, how have you gotten over choosing to be hospitable instead of entertaining. Yeah, I've gotten over it mostly because my neighbors around me are never trying to entertain me, but they are often welcoming me into their humble spaces for humble meals. And it's through being invited into those spaces where I've been able to recalibrate like, oh, wait, we don't have to blow this up into some difficult task or some anxiety producing task. That's not what they're doing. They're saying, Hey, come over. Do you want to come sit on our patio and we're grilling meat for tacos? Or it's just, I I have been on the receiving end of really unfussy and very Mm. genuine hospitality. And it has in turn taught me that I can do the same. And so what what that tells us is we can be the one, like I didn't go first. My neighbors went first and I learned from it. So maybe we can take this conversation to heart and then we can go first. And then the people around us are like, okay, cool. She doesn't have this perfect home and this perfect life and everything's perfect. So maybe I don't have to be perfect either. And it just starts to kind of recalibrate those scales where we're all just doing our best. We are all struggling in different ways. Life is hard in different ways. Life is fun in different ways. Life is boring in a lot of the same ways. And we can come together anyway and kind of push the mess out of the way and say, hey, we're having frozen pizza. Mm -hmm. Do you want to come over for some frozen pizza? Or do you want to just come over for a cup of tea? I mean, we can just make this so simple in ways that work with our actual lives. And then we're then we're kind of living the dream. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it doesn't mean that it's without bumps in the road or, you know, those insecurities, that awkwardness. I wish I could have written a chapter on how to cure awkwardness. I don't have that answer. I don't think you can. (laughs) You can't do it. Yeah. But you can just expect it. I mean, that's what I throughout the book, I'm saying it might be a little awkward, but you will be okay. We will all be okay with a little bit of awkwardness. And when somebody around us, you know, thinking of those neighbors with the balloons, I am positive they felt awkward about it. But all I felt was loved and honored. That's all I felt. I mean, that is life-changing. Seen. That's what you're saying, that we all long to be seen. And what a thing that they did. And then that's an interesting, the the whole thing is interesting because what you're saying is you were so impacted by your neighbors that this is enhancing your life in other ways. You have this Kendall come over. Maybe you wouldn't have done that otherwise. Oh, for sure. She came. I had never met her before. We were friends online. She came through town. She didn't just come over for like uncute dinner. 
she like stayed in my daughter's bedroom. Like I, we displaced Ruby for a night. Kendall stayed in the bedroom. The bathroom downstairs was not fixed. Like it was a whole thing. I, I don't have a cute guest room for anybody. Mm-hmm. And so that would be something that that I would be like, well, I can't have guests spend the night. I don't have a guest room, but you know what? I can. Yeah. Exactly as you're saying, like, that's what we learn is like, we don't have to be trying to impress anybody. Yeah. All we have to do is kind of throw the door open and say, come on in, you know, we're not perfect here. And there's, there's a lot that we might change about our mm-hmm. homes or whatever the case may be, but you're welcome in this place. Wow. I um I have bolded this sentence that says growth generally does not look like getting ahead, which I thought was really mind blowing. You say the way forward is often down, but that is an interesting thing. Yeah. Like, well, you kind of had said in this book, you're talking about Kendall and the bathroom and the, the thing, and it's not perfect. And you think, well, <laughs> goodness, I'm in my forties. Like, why don't I have it together by now? And so I thought that was right. such a statement that growth doesn't have to look pretty or like getting ahead. It just looks like it looks hard. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I think if we come to the place where we believe we do have it all together, like that's honestly what would make me feel kind of intimidated and uncomfortable mm-hmm. at this point is, and I'm not saying those people don't exist because I know they do. Mm-hmm. And in, in so many ways, I wish I was them. So it's like, wouldn't it be great to just feel like you were doing mm-hmm. everything the right way? But I think most of us feel like we're the only one getting stuff wrong, or we're the only one who's ill-equipped, or like we feel like we're the only ones who who don't have it all together. Yeah. And really, it's most of us. So if we just started being a little more honest right. about that, like this is my home. My husband tells me all the time, you know, I'm I'm more of like a chronic tidier, and he's d- not as worried about that. But he says to me all the time, Shannon, it's the house is a mess because people live mm-hmm. here. People live here. Like we're living our actual lives here. And it's such a good reminder for me. We are not living in like stage set homes. We're, this is where we live. This is where all we're bringing a bunch of people with all our stuff together. Um, And so it's not, it's not supposed to be tidy or perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's such a, inspiring word for people. And then you say, food always tastes better when someone else makes it. So that's encouraging, right? (laughs) That it doesn't have to be perfect. And I love that you have a chili recipe in there, a slow cooker, white chili recipe right in the book. And then you say your parents call it chili soup. Is that a thing that you know of? No, I don't think so. I don't know. We'll have to ask. (laughs) I'll have people message. Do they call it chili soup? And I love it. Chili or chili soup. (laughs) That's what I called it for decades until I realized like, oh, wait, nobody else is saying this. This is some weird thing I learned from my parents and I don't know where it came from. Yeah, I kind of, I just love that. Um, But I think we should bring it back because I do like it. It's it's great. It's homey. Yeah, it is. I think that could be the next name of your book, Chili Soup. <laughs> it's great. Awesome. Um, your next book. Oh, so so there's one other story because we're kind of running out of time. But I just love. I loved all the stories in here, and they were very meaningful and very memorable. And there was Two Cake Monday, which was a story mm-hmm. that I loved. Can you tell us that one as we're kind of closing it yeah. out? Yeah. So. Th- that's yes, I would love to tell you that story. It I've read it before to a crowd and it made me ball, but I, I think I can get through talking. Well, I've already cried, here. so you're fine. I'm like, oh, I should have Kleenex here. What's wrong with me? <laughs> I cried a couple times. I recorded the audiobook mm. for the first time ever. It was so exciting. And I, I'm not a big crier and I cried a couple times. Yeah, I'm not a big crier either. I'm doing that. But here I am. Well, here crying we are. about the balloons here we are crying. <laughs> and the gift card. <laughs> right. 
So to take to cake Monday, we for years and years until the kind of the the pandemic was was the the final nail that brought this to an end. But we did a like a small group Bible study on Monday nights for years and years and years. And you know, our church is right here in our neighborhood. It's like a block wow. and a half away. Everything is like really close for us. We held it in our church basement, but it was mostly people that did not attend our church who came. Some did, some didn't. But you know, I talk about how a lot of the folks in our in this Monday night group had complicated lives for various reasons. You know, we're we're struggling in ways that I have not struggled that type of thing. And our deal for these Monday nights was kind of what I was talking about earlier with the whole rotary phone, like, hey, I've got this, you bring what you have. That's how we set up these Monday nights was like, we're we're gonna have a meal together. We're not planning it at all. Yeah. So everybody just bring something. We did not do sign up sheets. We didn't like, you know, assign things. It was like, just bring whatever. And yeah. so it almost always was just an amazing little assortment of foods. But on this particular night, I couldn't find anything. I had nothing. I didn't have time to go to the grocery store. I mean, we brought store bought stuff, whatever, but I didn't have time to do that. And I found I had a boxed cake mix. And so I'm like, okay, I'm, I guess I'm baking a Betty Crocker mm-hmm. cake. And I baked that cake and I remember thinking like, I'm sure somebody else is going to bring like a main dish. It's fine. And even if it's not like, great, right. we get, we get lots of dessert. And so I'm, you know, baking the cake. We walked down and, you know, we were there with our cake. A couple minutes after we arrive, our friend Maggie arrives with her cake. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, basically like, I didn't have anything in the house. I baked a cake. So I'm like, okay, cool. Like we have two cakes. This will be fun. We'll eat cake for dinner. And a couple minutes after that, another friend of ours walked in and she was a friend. I think I gave her a pseudonym in the book. I don't remember the name I gave her, but she was walking in rebuilding after addiction, incarceration. She was having rebuilding with her kids. She had lost custody of her kids for a while. Now she's got custody of them back. And she walks through and her daughter screams, mom, they brought you birthday cake. And I was sitting there like, wow, oh my gosh, like. We had no idea that it was her birthday. Wow. And two of us randomly showed up with cakes wow. on her birthday. And so what what I saw is like this kind of, you know, like, oh, it's just a cake mix from a box. It's not really dinner food, it's dessert. And then Maggie does the same thing. And we're both feeling kind of weird, like, oh, well, this is all I had. It was the perfect, perfect thing and really made her night. I mean, and her kids. Like it was such a yeah, special and her fun. Kids. Yeah. 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 To feel like, and and we did not try to spin it as like, we knew it was your birthday. Like we were honest about it, but we were also saying this is abundance. Like, look how things so often just kind of, they, they become what they needed to be. And there's always enough. And there's, you know, there's always what we need. And it was such a beautiful Mm -hmm. reminder for us and for her and just being seen in such an odd way. It was just so beautiful. Yeah, that's a really powerful story because it kind of felt like failure or you could have thought like, oh, well, we probably should be doing a sign up and oh man, this didn't really work out. So this doesn't happen again. Yeah, but then it worked out to be the most perfect thing. I love that story. I really, really enjoyed your writing, Shannon. Start with Hello and Other Simple Ways to Live as Neighbors. A beautiful book came out in October. You can find it anywhere by Shannon Martin. And then your website is Shannon, S-H-A-N-N-A-N, martin.com, where you can sign up for your newsletter. And then you're on Instagram at Shannon Writes. Two A's. Yep. Shannon Wright. Two A's. That's how it goes. <laughs> um, so beautiful. So 
thank you so much for taking the time to be here. And I really was touched by these stories in your book. And I think stories are such a great way to teach truths because they're easy to remember and you take them with you and they're very yeah. touching and you can kind of see yourself in them or wish yourself in them to think, oh, yeah. well, if I did this, then maybe my story would be like Mac later on or these different things. Yeah. And so it's really beautiful. Yes. We always end our podcast because it's a 1000 hours outside podcast, but with a favorite memory of yours from your childhood uh, that was outside. Ooh. We grew up heating with wood um, and my parents still do to this day. But, but for me, I don't know that I loved it so much when I was a kid, but it's very memorable to me to remember dealing with the wood. Wow. So, you know, cutting, chopping the wood, stacking the wood, hauling the wood. I mean, that's just something that's kind of ingrained wow. in my childhood memory is like a rhythm of our life. Mm -hmm. My dad's always like looking for, for trees that are down and that kind of thing. It was just kind of the way we lived and they still live. And I, you know, somebody said once, what did your childhood smell like? Which was such an interesting question. Wow. And for a split second, I was like, I have no idea. And then immediately wow. later, I was like, my childhood smelled like wood smoke. Wow. So yeah, that's a that's a really special. That's nostalgic. I'm sure anytime question. you smell it, it just yeah. takes you back. I mean, scent is powerful. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, I love that question. Yeah, and maybe. in fact, right now, I, my husband must have started a fire because I smell it, and oh, uh, it's probably our first one because we have snow here, so it's like our first one of the yep. year and of the season. And so. Shannon, thank you for your time. And thank you for really thank impacting you. my life and impacting others with your writing. Uh, aren't you glad you wrote? You know, it's hard to sit down like your little exactly. quote. So glad that you did. <laughs> and really awesome to connect. Thank you so much. Real truth alert. Pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom in Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.